The New Testament reading, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jill. Man, the eels are taking over the readings this morning. I like it. Uh, it's really good to be here with all of you this morning. Um, as I said, I'm in seminary, and one of the things I've been doing this semester is what's called a preaching lab. And it's basically where every week I go into this chapel, this big empty chapel, and there's like nine seminary students and a professor who's just waiting to tear my sermon apart. And that's what I've been preaching to this semester. So it's really good to be here uh, with people that I love in a place that I love. And as you heard just a few moments ago uh, from Jill, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy, specifically in chapter 1, verses 12 through, 7, through 17. Uh, so if you want to open your bulletin, it's printed out for you. Or if you want to open in a pew Bible, you can follow along. And what you're going to need to know about this book is that this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy. And it's, it's written to him as sort of a church planting manual. Uh, Paul and Timothy went to Ephesus and they planted a church together. And Paul's going to leave and go do ministry somewhere else. And he's writing back to Timothy to tell him the things that he's going to have to do to continue to lead the church and grow this church plant that they started. And if you look back at the verses just before this in uh, verses 3 through 11, what you'll find is that in the church there are false teachers. They have Sunday school teachers who are teaching a perverted gospel, a different gospel than Paul taught them. What you also find is that there's people who are uh, living openly and publicly in sexual sin. In the church, encouraging other people to do the same. And Timothy is going to have to deal with these people. He's going to have to confront these people. He may even have to kick some of these people out of his church. And so what Paul is doing in these few verses, this is, this is like the, the toolbox of the manual, the what you'll need section. This is, these are truths that Timothy is going to have to go back to over and over and over again. Because what he's doing is not a small task. And if he's trusting in his own power, in his own faithfulness, in his own strength, then he's going to fail miserably. And what I think Paul is saying to us, too, is that as Christians living in Christian community, we can't, we can't do that in our own power, in our own strength. Because if we try to, we're going to fail miserably as well. Um, and so Paul does this in two ways. First, he reminds Timothy of God's power to transform. And he reminds Timothy of God's power to sanctify. And this isn't anything new. 
But Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy needs to be reminded that this is what you need to go back to, is God's power to change people's lives. And God's power to continue shaping and molding his people into his image. So let me pray for us as we get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning... Maybe some of us come into this, in, into this service as, as broken people, tired and weary, anxious and fearful. And Father, I pray that um, this morning that you'd be present with us, that you would lay your hands on our wounds and on our scars, that you would give us the healing power of your spirit. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears so that we might see and we might hear Lord, I pray that you might open our heart and our minds that we might understand that we should turn to you and be healed. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So look with me at uh, verse 12 and 13. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. What's Paul's first point here? Paul's first point is that God is the acting agent in transformation. That God is the acting agent in transformation. Not you, not me, not Tim. It's God. God is the acting agent in transformation. He has the power to change lives Because what Paul says is, I thank him, for he gave me strength. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He doesn't say, I had great strength. I was faithful, and that's why God appointed me to his service. No, these are gifts from God. Paul didn't do anything to earn this transformation. He didn't do anything to earn this salvation that he's talking about. Uh, A few years ago, Kelsey and I were driving back home to Greenville from being away on vacation. We were about 25 minutes out from Greenville, and we realized that our car had no gas whatsoever. And Kelsey, is, she starts to freak out a little bit. And I'm like, Kelsey, it's going to be okay. I've been in this situation before. We're going to make it to the next gas station. We're going to be just fine. Just calm. Please, just calm. And as soon as I said that, our car starts to shut down. And I don't know if you've ever been in a car that, that like, runs out of gas. It's not fun. Like, the, the power steering went out. The, the gas pedal gave way. And so I shift into neutral, and I try and coast as far as I can. And we get to the exit of Graycourt, South Carolina. It's, just in the, it's in the middle of nowhere. And the nearest gas station is about two miles away. And we're sitting on the interstate. So we call AAA. And they tell us that it's going to be about an hour and a half before they can come get us. Y'all, it's the middle of summer. We're sitting in the car. It feels like we're sitting in a crock pot. We're not going to make it an hour and a half. And I don't know if at this point Kelsey doesn't realize that I knew this was my fault. But she keeps reminding me over and over again, like, this is your fault. This is your fault. So I'm, I'm determined that I'm going to fix this situation. I got us into this. I'm going to get us out. So I get out of the car. And I just start running <laughs> towards Greycourt, South Carolina. 
It's about two miles. It's the dead of summer. Um, it, like, my running quickly became me just trying not to collapse on the ground. So I finally make it to downtown Graycourt, and I make it to the first gas station that I see, and I barge into the gas station. I'm soaked head to toe, and people are looking at me like, what is this freak doing? And uh, so I get in there, I find a gas can, I find the biggest bottle of water I can find, I go up to the cash register, and he asked me if I need anything else. And I said, yes, I'll need two gallons of gas. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, our pumps are out of order. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He was, and I said, okay, so where's the next nearest gas station? He said, it's only a mile down the road. It's like, only a mile? Uh, so I turned to the guy behind me, and I'm like, look, man, I'm really sorry to ask you this, but can you please give me a ride to the next gas station and back to my car? And uh, he was really nice. He said yes. He was in line to buy beer. And so I was like, I'll buy your beer for you. And it was great. We jumped into his SUV. Before he even put on his seatbelt, he cracked open one of the beers. And I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. (laughs) Don't really have any other options. So we're on our way to the next gas station. I called Kelsey. I said, hey, babe, you can cancel AAA. We're going to be fine. I'm getting us out of this mess that I put us in. Just cancel AAA. So we go to the next gas station. We get gas. He's driving me back to my car. That's on the interstate. And we're driving back towards 385. And we get to the top of the exit, and I think, great, he's going to drop me off, and we'll say we're goodbyes. Um, No. (laughs) He turns his SUV down the wrong way onto the exit ramp, onto 385, while he's drinking a beer. And I start freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to die. This is not okay. Uh, But I make it to the car, safe and sound. Thank the Lord. And I'm, I'm putting gas in the car, and the tension between Kelsey and I starts to ease. Kelsey's like, you know... I'm really appreciative. Thank you for trying your best to fix the mess that you put us in. Uh, And I was like, thank you for noticing. That's really nice. Um, So I put the gas in the car. I get in the car. I put the key in the ignition, and I turn it, and nothing happens. And I turn it again, and nothing happens. Apparently, since the time that I had run out of gas... Uh, got out of the car, run to Graycourt, South Carolina, went to the gas station, got a gas can, found a friend to drive me to the next one, got gas, came back to the car. The car battery had died. And so we called AAA. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, hey, you know that time we said we didn't need you guys anymore? Well, we were lying, and we do need you. And they said, okay, well, it's going to be an hour and a half. So I did what any respectable man would do. I leaned my seat as far back as it would go. And I just laid there on the verge of tears like, what am I going to do? How are we going to get out of this? And finally, like 20 minutes later, a police officer pulls up behind us. And we explain to him what's going on. And so he jumps our car. And we're back on the road. We're finally going home. And what I realized as we were driving away... I had just been running around for three hours trying to fix a problem that I couldn't fix. I was trying to clean up this mess that I had made for ourselves. And I I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it in my own power. I needed someone outside of me to come and rescue me. And if you're anything like me, this is a lot of times how we try to deal with the sin in our lives. 
with the, the mess that we see in the world, with the mess that we see in our lives, with the mess that we see in our church. We think it's up to us to fix it. We have to make things right. We want to trust in our own faithfulness, in our own strength, in our own power. And it isn't until we're completely hopeless that we can be rescued. The first step in the 12-step program is to admit that we are powerless and our lives have become unmanageable. To admit that we are powerless and our lives have become unmanageable. The first step in recovery is to break down the the walls of denial and self-justification. And y'all, this is the first step in the Christian life too. We have to be able to say, I'm not okay. I can't fix this mess that I'm in. It isn't until we're willing to admit that we're powerless to fix our sin that we can find a hope that heals. We're not the acting agents in transformation. We can't transform ourselves. God is the acting agent in transformation. And the good news is that he's gracious with us in his transformation. He doesn't just act in changing our lives. He's gracious to us when he does. He makes us who were once his enemies, his closest friends, his sons and daughters. Look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord overflowed with faith and love for me. I got a chance to... uh, go to one of the renewal graduation ceremonies that I talked about this morning in the announcements, if you were here. Uh, and it's, if you weren't here, if you didn't hear it, it's going on tomorrow night at the renewal uh, building at 6.30. I encourage all of you to go. It's an awesome experience. Again, a great way to get involved with something that Grace and Peace really cares about a lot. And I had the opportunity to go to one of these graduation ceremonies. And at each graduation, what's so awesome about it is that Each woman who's graduating from the program gets to stand up and tell their story of recovery. To tell their story of God's transformative power in their lives. And I remember this one woman in particular. This was kind of a a common thread throughout all of them. But I remember one woman in particular. At the climax of her story, at at the pivotal point in her story, she says, but God. But God, and she's quoting from Ephesians 2, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, saved us. But after telling stories about how she had been abused, about how she had been assaulted, about how she had been rejected by her friends and family, still she says, but God. After telling stories about how she had been the transgressor, how she had neglected her children, how she had lied to and stolen from her friends and family, still she said, but God. And that's what Paul is doing in this verse. He's saying, Timothy, I was a persecutor, a blasphemer. I was literally murdering people. I was ending people's lives for trusting in Jesus. But God. I think what he's trying to say to Timothy and what he's trying to say to us is, do you think, Timothy, that there's something in your life that God can't handle? 
Ask yourself, do you, is there something in your life that you can think of that's on the top of your head that you think, I have to handle this because God can't do it for me? Do you think God doesn't know what to do with the fact that you're stuck in the rut of addiction? Whether, whether it's alcohol or pornography, prescription pills, whatever it is for you, the, the addiction in your life, God can't handle it, can he? Do you think God doesn't know what to do with the fact that you're terrified of what people think about you? That in those few moments before you go to sleep, all the embarrassing things you said and did come rushing back into your head. And those voices of shame start telling you, no one really likes you. Your spouse doesn't really love you. God surely doesn't love you. You think God doesn't know what to do with that? What about your future? Isn't it up to you to make all the right decisions 100% of the time and perform at 110%, 100% of the time, every second of every day as a, as a parent, in your job, as a friend? Isn't that up to you? Paul says the faith and love overflowed from the grace that God has for him. Paul uses this is this is a superlative that he's using. This is the most extreme abundance of faith and love and grace that's uncontrollably overflowing from God through Christ to us. This is this is not the picture of a, of a calm trickling babbling brook. This this is the picture of a tidal wave, a tsunami of grace. That doesn't just consume this one little sliver of your life when you're in church on Sunday morning or in a midweek Bible study or in your neighborhood group. Oh, it consumes all of your life, your whole week, your whole being. Your sin, your addiction, your loneliness, the shame that you feel for the things that other people have done to you and the shame you feel for the things that you've done to other people. That, that is like, it's like a single match compared to a tsunami of grace that's available to you in Christ. So Paul reminds Timothy of God's power to transform. He reminds Timothy that God is gracious in his transformation. But God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't stop there. He continues to do this good work that he started in your life. He continues to make you look more like himself. Look at verse 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying, Timothy, God doesn't just save me. He doesn't just save you. He sanctifies you. He makes you holy. He makes you look more like himself. He gives you his spirit. This whole section is about Paul using his own life as an example to Timothy, as an example to us of what it looks like to empty yourself and be united with Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice that Paul doesn't say, of whom I was the foremost. He says, of whom I am the foremost. He's begging Timothy not to be plugged into the wrong power source, not to trust in his own strength, but to be desperate in his need for Christ and childlike in his dependence on the Spirit. 
Y'all, this is our power source. This is what Timothy needs to keep going back to over and over and over again. This is what we need to keep going back to over and over and over again. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit. We don't really like to talk about that as Presbyterians, right? The Holy Spirit. He's real, y'all. But this isn't anything new for you, right? Paul knew this when he was writing in Timothy. He wasn't writing something new. You knew before I even started talking, I was going to say, like, either Jesus or the Holy Spirit, right? It was one of the two. But maybe you just need to be reminded. Like me, like Timothy. You just need to be reminded that even as Presbyterians, especially as Presbyterians, our power source is the Spirit of God in us. And the way we plug into Him, the way we, we tap into this, the power of the Holy Spirit is by spending time in His presence. There's a deep connection between your habits, your practices, the time you spend in the presence of God and the healing power of the Spirit in your life. A week ago, uh, the Academy Awards voted for Shape of Water as the best picture of 2017. Uh, I can't really recommend it from the pulpit. If you want to talk afterwards, we can do that. Uh, But if you haven't seen it, The Shape of Water is this mid-20th century love story between a mute cleaning lady and a merman from the Amazon. Uh, Very relatable, I know. Um, But here's the deal. This, This merman, this fish man creature... What you find out in the movie is that he actually has this incredible ability to heal. He can heal people even to the point of bringing them back from the dead. But the catch is that he has to be able to touch you. He has to be able to lay his hands on your wounds and lay his hands on your scars and lay his hands on your heart in order to heal you. Before uh, Tim and Rosie get back from their marriage conference and someone tells them, hey, I didn't really understand the Holy Spirit until Tanner said it was like this fish man creature from the Amazon in this weird sci-fi fantasy movie. Um, That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. Don't walk away with that. What I am saying is that in order to experience the healing power of the Holy Spirit, the preserving power of the Holy Spirit, you have to spend time in his presence. The Holy Spirit has to be able to lay his hands on you. He has to lay his hands on your scars and your wounds and your heart in order for you to experience the power of the Spirit in your life. Uh, There's an American author and theologian named Richard Foster. and This is what he says of communing with the Holy Spirit. He says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life. That's meditating on Scripture abiding in prayer, worshiping on the Sabbath. He's given us the, dis- the disciplines of life as a means of receiving His grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. We have to place ourselves before God. We have to expose ourselves to His presence for Him to transform us. Okay, so, so why does he do this? Right? If we're powerless to save ourselves, we have to receive his power. 
We have to put ourselves before him in order to be transformed. Why does he even do it? Why does he bother with making his enemies into his sons and daughters? And the answer, I think, can be found in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul ends this section with a doxology. And what he's doing, by by doing this, he's saying that all of those things I just said, that God transforms you, that God's gracious in his transformation, that that God continues to transform you, continues to, to shape you into his image. The reason he does that is because you bring him glory. Do you know that? Do you know that he goes through all this trouble because he delights in you? Going back to the shape of water, there's another touching scene where this mute cleaning lady is describing to her friend why she fell in love with this creature. Why she's in love with him. And it's this really intense scene where she is, she's mute, so she has to use sign language, and her friend is translating for her verbally. And as she's moving, this is what, she, this is what he translates. This is her speaking. The reason I fell in love with him, when he looks at me, the way he looks at me, he sees me for what I am, as I am. And he's happy to see me every time, every day. He looks at me for what I am, as I am, and he's happy. Do you know that this is how God looks at you? This is how he thinks of his children. At Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, we have this scene where God's voice comes through the clouds. As Jesus is anointed with the Spirit, and God says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What I want to say for us sitting in here today is that if you're at a point in your life where you are at a loss for what to do next, where you feel powerless to fix whatever situation you're in, when your life has become unmanageable, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I want to invite you to come find rest and power in the overflowing abundance of faith and love that are available in Jesus. And when you do, you can be confident in knowing that our Heavenly Father looks down on you and He says the same thing He said to Jesus. He says, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have communicated with us. That you haven't left us on our own. That you are a God who has come and visited us. And you have left for us the spirit through which we can pray. And you've left for us the Bible 
where we can find your truths again, even when we forget over and over and over again. And Father, I pray that for all of us in here, that we would turn to you and be healed. We would find power in your spirit. Amen.